from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Why some researchers are concerned about their arrival. Have these birds in hand is just an experience I think everyone should strive to have at least once in their lifetime. Plus some positive signals about farmer sentiment. The Ag Economy Barometer in October rose four points above a month ago as harvest nears an end across the country. While in one state it's running behind, but it's not all bad news. Probably one of the positives, we have one of the best stands ever. The latest from the fields in the Hoosier State right now on Ag Day. Ag Day presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat and tears meet rain, wind and sun. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Harvest is running well ahead of average with soybean harvest already almost done. USDA releasing its latest crop progress report. Now it reports 81% of the corn crop has now been harvested. That's 4% ahead of the five-year average. But look at soybeans, now 91% harvested. That's 5% ahead of normal. The I-80 Harvest Tour on Ag Day is brought to you by Case IH. The Farm All has been the iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farm All, the one for all, at farmall100.com. And by AGI. At AGI, we spend a lot of time focused on our product details, making sure you can store your grain how you need to and move it when you need to. Learn more at aggrowth.com. Indiana farmers making big progress with the soybean harvest now 87% complete. However, corn harvest is only 68% done, which is eight points behind the five-year average and 13 points behind last year. As Ag Day's Michelle Rook reports on our ID Harvest Stop, farmers have been delayed by a wet corn crop, but also bigger yields. Despite the weather extremes Indiana farmers face during the growing season, USDA is pegging statewide soybean and corn yields above last year. And so far, harvest results are confirming that trend. Near Lafayette, Chuck Shelby planted the crop in the dust this spring, but was able to go through all the low spots and saw even emergence. So even with the dry conditions, the crop got off to a good start. Probably one of the positives, we have one of the best stands ever. And the dryness you saw at planting continued through the early part of the season. Well, moisture-wise, uh, we ended up being very dry all the way through the months of June and parts of July. But then Shelby says the weather pattern changed. We started getting rain consistently about an inch, inch and a half a week as we got into the end of July and August. So that really uh, made our crop here. In fact, soybean yields ran much better than the low to mid 60s he saw in the fall of 2022. A lot of uh, 65 to 80 bushel uh, averages for fields, for whole field averages. Uh, we're probably going to average in the low 70s. Bean yields were better than average, uh, much better than last year. It wasn't the best bean yields we ever had, but it, but it was a good crop. I think if we would have got rain in September, it would have really been our best crop. Shelby says corn yields are also running from 250 to 260 bushels per acre drive, so they're pleasantly surprised. So overall, I think, uh, you know, we're going to be above average crop at the end of the day, uh, which last year, again, in this part of Indiana, didn't have that good of a yield, so a lot better than last year for us. However, they still lost top-end yield potential with the dryness and extreme heat late in the season, which caused the crop to die down prematurely. That's also preventing the corn from drying down, slowing the harvest and driving up costs. 
However, USDA has Indiana yields pegged higher than a year ago at 197 on corn versus 190 last year, with soybeans at 61 bushels, up from 57 and a half last year. And Shelby thinks that's in line. I think Indiana will be better than last year by quite a bit. I don't know if it's a record crop, but overall, uh, I think uh, most farms in Indiana are pleased with their yields and it'll be better than last year. And they'll need those extra bushels with corn and soybean prices well below last year. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Dry conditions persist in the southern high plains while there are chances for snow further north. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has a look at all of it. Matt? Yeah, of course, this time of year, we got to start talking about where it's going to rain and where it is going to snow. And one way we can do that is kind of look at uh, the uh, contours, uh, the gradient. Uh, this is going to be all rain down into Texas, obviously. Uh, Texas and Louisiana be a lot of snow. Uh, but a system picking up some Gulf moisture and working off uh, to the east uh, with, again, rain back into Tennessee as well as into Virginia. Not a big system. Uh, what is coming through parts of Texas uh, is kind of where we're going to max out the moisture in the atmosphere. But back up here to the north, it doesn't look like much, but that's where we could start to see some snow back into Canada, northern Minnesota, even into northern Wisconsin before it transitions over to mostly rain. You see the uh, darker green is going to be rain, about a half an inch of rainfall in and across Michigan with more snow back up here to the north. So again, there's that precipitation forecast uh, the next seven days. Uh, we got a ridge of high pressure building in once again, which is going to keep things quiet. Go ahead and take a look at your screen here. A beautiful picture coming in from Canada. We were just talking about Canada and possibility for some snow. John sharing this picture from Ontario. He said today's harvest was a great day. He says that's because mom was home and they got to eat Dutch soup. And mom got a photo with her two sons at harvest. There they are. You know, great to see these family moments even during the busy times. We'll talk more about it in just a little bit. After a few months of decline, the latest ag economy barometer is showing a rise in farmer sentiment. The October survey from Purdue University and the CME Group coming in with a reading of 110. Now that's up four points from the previous month. Analysts say the slight tick up is due to farmers improved perspective about current conditions on their farms as well as expectations for the future. They add that farmers in this month's survey were a bit less concerned about the risk of lower prices for crops and livestock and felt somewhat better about their farm's financial situation than a month earlier. But they still have key concerns looking ahead into next year. We asked farmers what their biggest concerns are for their farming operation in the upcoming year. And once again, farmers pointed to high input costs being their number one concern, followed by rising interest rates and the risk of lower crop and livestock prices. Farmers also reported being cautiously optimistic about farmland values, particularly when asked to look ahead five years. Also, nearly one in four corn and soybean farmers reported making changes in their farm operation in response to long-term weather pattern changes in their area. Syngenta says it's investigating its next steps in response to Arkansas ordering a divestiture of a 160-acre farm in the state due to foreign ownership. Last month, as we first told you, Arkansas's Attorney General gave Northrop King Seed Company two years to sell its farmland owned in Craighead County. Now it comes after the state legislature passed a law that restricts certain foreign party controlled businesses from having private land in Arkansas. Now Northrop is a division 
of Syngenta Seeds, which is owned by Kim China, which is a Chinese state-owned company. Now, the head of Syngenta North America tells me nothing illegal has taken place on that farm, and they're still working on the next steps. Will this require Syngenta to sell that farm? We're working through that right now with, uh, with the government officials. And so we're putting the right plans in place to be able to have options uh, to help serve farmers based upon whatever the outcome is going to be. The EPA and the USDA many times require us to do work and permitting right in the same state as we're going to sell product. So one of the first things we have to make sure that we figure out here is how do we work with the local community to make sure that we're still getting uh, products tested in their backyard so that we have the ability to be able to sell those products. Now he says Syngenta has a significant soybean market share in the state of Arkansas. While according to USDA, roughly 380,000 acres in the U.S. are owned by Chinese businesses or investors or less than 1% of total foreign-owned farmland. Now Syngenta has owned the Craighead County acreage since 1988. Grains trade lower on Tuesday, ending a multi-day run for higher prices for soybean futures. We'll dig into markets, including cotton markets, coming up next. And later, a new friend makes a home in Louisiana. And there's still time to join us for the Milk Business Conference later this month. That event taking place in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada from November 28th through the 30th at Caesars Palace. This is a great place to get critical business information for dairy producers as they work to thrive in an ever-changing economic environment. Join us later this month in Las Vegas. Go to dairyherd.com and click on the More tab to find more information. Cotton harvest is progressing as well with 57% of that crop now out of the ground, 2% ahead of normal. Michelle Rook is back with a cotton outlook with John Payne in Markets Now. Welcome to Markets Now. John Payne with Hedgepoint Global Markets is joining us. John, let's talk about the cotton market because, you know, despite the fact that we have a smaller crop in the U.S., we've really not been able to rally this market. Is it a supply situation or demand that's holding that market back? I think it's a demand situation. I think near-term supplies are kind of piling up. We're seeing certified stocks grow, not the carryout, but the certified stocks that, that are accumulated at delivery points uh, by some of the bigger you know, wholesalers. They're not seeing demand from the global markets you know, wanting to come and take it off their hands at this price. So given interest rates, I think folks are selling the carry, You know, looking at selling May and, and potentially even the July contracts just based off the idea that you know, global global markets are still pretty weak when it comes to you know consumer spending and the needs need for for clothing. So, um, you know, I think near term there's just a, a lot of difficulty to get a story that's going to get the market to move. Uh, you know, we've had uh, a problem here in the U.S. I mean, I don't think the crop by any means is perfect, and I think the carryout is somewhat low relative to the last few years. But we've had big crops come out of Australia and Brazil that will. Um, kind of su suffice right now. And, and the fact of the matter is these buyers are coming from developed, uh, I'm sorry, developing countries with weak currencies, and they would rather not play in the USD. They'd rather buy, you know, something based off the Brazilian real or, you know, the Aussie dollar, and then not have to factor that in. Yeah, John, we're going to essentially stay stuck in this sideways range. Is there anything that can pop us out of that in cotton? Maybe a big bazooka trade, uh, quantitative easing out of China you know, to get that market to really loosen up. 
maybe interest rates coming off here in the U.S. too. You know, we've seen the back end of the yield curve really move this week. And, you know, I think the U.S. is, is somewhat fine. Consumer spending is good, but we do worry a little bit about a yield curve, curve inversion and a recession coming now uh, just from a consumer spending part, part. So I think short term here, that, that cotton market does not have the mar- uh, kind of the, 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 the foibles to, to get the market to move like it does in soybeans or even corn. So I think at this point, you know, we want to see what the acreage is next year. Potentially, if you want to own corn or cotton, rather, it might be the better play. Go out to the D24, maybe even the D25 and put some some link there. I was going to say, does this discourage uh, farmers from planting cotton in 24? Yes, it does. I would be, you know, given the cost of capital and the cost of grow this stuff. I mean, plant beans, it's, it's such an easier crop. And I think you're going to see folks do that next year. Thanks for joining us, John Payne, with Hedgepoint Global Markets. That's Markets Now. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. To find John's newsletter, This Week in Grain and Oilseeds, head over to www.thisweekingrain.com. Ag Day is brought to you by Advanced Acre RX from Winfield United, the comprehensive, customized program that's paying off at operations across America. Visit winfieldunited.com AARX. Well, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, a ridge of high pressure setting up across the United States. And this time is during the fall season. You compare this, a very similar image was shown during the summer. That extreme heat under that dominant ridge. We're seeing a similar pattern in the jet stream coming up November 12th through the 16th, which is going to put above average temperatures in and across the United States. In fact, we don't even get over to this part of the legend, the blue part of the legend anywhere on the map until you get up back up here to the northeast as a trough digs and moves to the northeast away from the United States. This is the pattern for nearly four days and then some with above average temperatures across the United States towards the end of November. The other thing that we're not going to find is going to be a lot of energy for snowfall or rain within the jet stream or in across the United States. So again, this is a jet stream coming up on Friday. We have a few pockets of energy or a trough trying to dig across the United States. But remember last week, what we needed is for the cooler air or even the snow was for that system to really dig down here to the south and be supported both from the jet stream all the way down to the surface. Just not the case. In fact, this ridge of high pressure that's set to build back off to the west, much like what we talked about in summer, any energy that comes through the jet stream can't go through this ridge. It's got to go up and over. So what you end up seeing is not only a ridge across the United States, but you got uh, kind of this omega block once again, where the cooler air is going to be off on the West Coast and also on uh, the East Coast, more to the Northeast. And everything in between is going to result in maybe the occasional shower here and there. But really, that pattern that we're just looking at having to do with above average warmth. Look how far north some of these white lines go. Again, this is into Tuesday and Wednesday, something that we've been talking about the last couple of days. We put the precipitation outlook and you get uh, the rain chances where that trough is trying to dig back out to the west and off on also deep into the east and then dry across a good portion of the United States. We'll start off in Florida Lake City, mostly sunny, high around 82 degrees. Ames, Iowa, high around 61 degrees, low of 33. And then South Dakota, we've got some light rain in Britain, high around 50 degrees, low of 30. U.S. pork production has been on the rise with producers raising more pigs while farrowing fewer sows and 
facing less disease. However, right now, it's hurting the pork market. With zero or negative margins for multiple quarters in a row, AgriTalk host Chip Flory asked Christine McCracken, a senior analyst for animal protein at Rabobank, if she thought sow liquidation was over yet. We think it'll continue into 2024. It's just, it's a really long process. You know, it you can't turn a ship this big uh, overnight. And and I think that, you know, we keep getting these glimmers of hope. I think, you know, we had a, a pretty good run on, on hog or pork prices here earlier this summer. I think some of that Prop 12 and then, you know, obviously, uh, just just some optimism around the crop that maybe gave guys a little breath of fresh air. So it's a it's a it's a long process. McCracken says just like for other producers, inflation is an ongoing headwind for the industry. It's happened again. Some football players with Iowa State are going viral in the pork world. Check out the new ad from Iowa Pork Producers Association. It features a new player to the lineup of purchase more ham and bacon cook. That's fellow Cyclones teammate Alec Cook joining Miles Purchase, Tyler Moore, Tommy Hammond, and Caleb Bacon in the sequel to the original ad. The first ad racking up more than 2.6 million views on X, formerly known as Twitter. Officials with the Iowa Pork Producers Association saying they were so overjoyed with the success of Purchase More Ham and Bacon campaign and love that they're able to encourage people to now cook more ham and bacon as well. As part of the success, the organization is donating $4,000 worth of pork to food pantries in the hometowns of all five players. A new bird has arrived in the South. Learn more about this duck with an interesting name and why scientists are so keen on watching it in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Lamar's Toy Store, the largest and most diversified farm toy store in the U.S. They have new and old and do restorations and customizations too. You need to see it to believe it. Visit lamarstoystore.com or call us at 712-546-4305. Louisiana is known as a major wintering ground for North American waterfowl, but there's a new visitor to the state that's spending its spring and summers there and then leaving for the winter. LSU Ag Center reporter Craig Gotro has a story on this new arrival. Native to Central and South America, the black belly whistling duck has been progressing northward. Not much is known about this bird, and researchers with the LSU Ag Center School of Renewable Natural Resources are in the second year of a three-year study to find out more about this newcomer. Ever since 2005, they've been rapidly expanding throughout the southeastern United States, and they're now found uh, with breeding populations as far north as Memphis and South Carolina. Because so little is known about this duck, which is more closely related to the swan family, there is fear it may harm or displace native species such as the wood duck. Whistling ducks have the potential to compete for nest sites uh, and they also lay eggs in the nests of, um, of wood ducks. So there's a the potential that those nests may suffer from reduced hatchability. Preliminary findings indicate wood ducks are not being adversely affected by the whistling ducks, but whistling ducks do exhibit some unique traits. Both males and females look alike, which is um, uh, not how typical ducks are. And both sexes incubate, uh, which is unique among ducks as well. And so this means that uh, their incubation is highly efficient and they can hatch out super large clutches. Scientists have documented up to 40 hatchlings from one nest. Graduate student Katie Miranda will be taking over for the second year of the study. And she says the field work is a great way to experience the outdoors. Getting out 
in nature, on a boat or on an ATV, um, being able to go around and check these nest boxes and have these birds in hand is just an experience I think everyone should strive to have at least once in their lifetime. These geolocators are being attached to the birds to help determine where the ducks go during the winter. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. All right, thanks Craig. Now the ducks have drawn the ire of Louisiana rice farmers because they eat the new tender shoots of rice plants during the spring. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agdam, Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.